Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Ian Cooper, CEO of SeekOps, an emissions monitoring company that's raised $23 million in funding. Ian, thanks for chatting with me today. Thanks very much. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, no problem. So before we begin talking about what you guys are building there, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Sure. So I was raised in Scotland, hence the uh, funny spelling of Ian. I stick the extra I in there just to confuse everybody. Moved to England when I was still young, hence no Scottish accent. Studied a lot of mathematics at school and ended up doing a PhD in meteorology of all things, which I've actually come full circle with, with emissions monitoring. Joined Schlumberger straight after the PhD and spent 30 years there doing a variety of technology development around drilling, fracking. And then for the last 12 years, they have founded and ran their venture capital group, which was certainly the best job in the oil patch for sure. Invested in a lot of interesting companies had a number of IPOs from that portfolio that they keep me uh, abreast of uh, post my uh, Schlumberger career. And then uh, looked at CCOPS and actually wanted to do an investment in CCOPS while I was at Schlumberger, but it took me leaving and joining CCOPS to get Schlumberger to invest in our Series B. Wow, amazing. And two questions we'd like to ask just to better understand what makes you tick as an executive. What CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about them? It's an interesting one because it used to be Elon until it went a little off the rails. But I have to say, it's uh, probably Patrick Poirnay of Total. He's put a huge emphasis on the greening of the Total, now Total Energy's company, and really has been very forthright about the ambitions of the clean energy domain in uh, amongst the operators. And I think, yeah, I've seen him really as a, a visionary and a leader from that side. Nice. It's uh, refreshing to hear someone other than Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. So appreciate hearing someone new. And what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a leader? And this can be a business book or it can also be a personal book that just influenced how you view the world. I have a fairly diverse reading habit. I don't read business books. I actually find business books pretty dull. So I, I try and get my learning from uh, a mix of literature and really enjoyed Morrissey, the singer's biography. He's very literate. He's led a very flamboyant life. And I tend to read a lot of biographies of musicians and movie makers. So I'm actually currently reading Quentin Tarantino's book as well. And that, that one's really highlighted how someone has been very focused on doing exactly what they wanted to do from a very early age, but also has this huge and voracious appetite for the media he works in as well. I've, I see that as a very inspirational text. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Now, let's talk about SeekOps and what you guys have going on there. So to start with, could you just walk us through the origin story behind the company? Sure. The company was founded by uh, two people at NASA JPL in 2017, Andrew Aubrey and, and Brendan Smith. And they were working on technology for the Mars Curiosity rover, or the original sensor that worked on the, the Mars Curiosity rover. And they had the idea of saying, how can we use this commercially back on planet Earth? And so they took that, decided uh, with their interest in unmanned aerial systems or drones to combine the two and developed a prototype sensor that received some early funding from Equinor for exploring the methane issues that uh, people were starting to recognize in the oil field. 
with that funding, they took the company from Pasadena to Austin, which is where we are now, and set up the company. They worked closely with Stanford University on validating the technology, that independent validation of the technology being really important for them. Subsequently got funding from the Oil and Gas Climate Initiative, Climate Investments Group, which uh, again, enabled them to grow further and work on some of the offshore technology deployments using fixed wing drones with a company called Flylogics out of the UK that does the long range flights from land to the offshore platforms and back about a 600 kilometer round trip. I joined in 2020 and after 30 years with Schlumberger, primarily to help the company finish the commercialization of the technology, given my background in tech commercialization at Schlumberger, but also to help them raise a series B to really help them start that scaling. And so uh, between when I joined and now, we've had a couple of world's first, the world's first biodigester survey, as well as the first detailed landfill survey. So in addition to oil and gas, we've expanded into a couple of other regions as well. And then I think to draw a nice line under kind of phase one of the company, we are awarded the startup of the year at Adipec, which is the big energy event in the Middle East uh, towards the end of last year. And actually in the same week, we also won uh, production technology of the year from the One Future Group, which is a consortium of uh, midstream operators. So a really nice way to draw that line under as we really look at scaling. And I'd say the most impactful thing for me was to see that we were commercial on all six major continents by the end of the year. Wow, that's amazing. So one thing I want to double click on there is the fact that you know after 30 years, you left this company and joined a you know somewhat early stage startup. So what's the psychology like there? Were you you know, a little bit nervous or scared making that change? Were you just ready to go at that point? Or what was that like? It was mixed emotions. I was always very proud of the work I'd done at Schlumberger. Again, the last 12 years, I was running the venture capital group there. So I was sitting on the board of a lot of startups and seeing and certainly learning from you know good CEOs and management teams and bad CEOs and management teams, you know how a good startup company should interface with its investors, work on the commercial side of their investors, and in the commercial world in general. Now I'd had thirty years in kind of the tech side of things, so you know wasn't really truly operational focused. So you know having a good team around me that's more operational focused and more business focused was probably something that I was more concerned about. You know, the technology side, I knew I could handle. I think the governance side, having sat on the boards, I knew I could handle. It was more, I think, my uncertainty on, you know, how do I direct business teams and certainly how do I direct field operations, having had limited experience in the field beforehand. So having said that, with those apprehensions, I was made very welcome very quickly. And I think we've pulled together a very nice performant executive management team now that really understands, is truly collaborative, and yeah, is all moving in the right direction. Amazing. And to dive deeper into the product, what are the customers actually buying then? Are they buying the drones and then manning them themselves? Or is this a service where you come in and deliver it for the customers? So it is a service, although the key differentiators we have is the sensor that was spun out of NASA and has been ruggedized through the oil field operations by the team in, uh, in Austin. We are typically contracted by an operator to fly a facility for them to determine, uh, again, the emissions at kind of the asset level. That That's what my total emissions from that site. And then uh, perform more detailed surveys where we can identify which components on that site are actually leaking. And really our differentiation is we actually quantify the emissions. So we can tell them the rate of emissions. So it enables them to, one, roll up their emission statistics whether they're going to use it for ESG reporting 
or enable them to triage the repairs so they fix the big leaks first. We typically show up as well and, and perform an ortho mosaic map. This is a high resolution image survey so that we can really put where those emissions we've found on that image and give them the context of the operation that was occurring at the time. So again, really detailed feedback on the emissions and where they're located and enable them to quantify. And again, this is important. And maybe we'll talk a little bit later about regulatory pressures and the complexity of global regulations around emissions reporting. Yeah, let's dive deeper into the regulatory side. So it's definitely bifurcated between EPA drivers in the US and what's known as Oil and Gas Methane Partnership 2.0, a UN initiative, really for Europe, but has started to be the world now as they've had a, a number of signatories. There's about 80 plus signatories of companies to OGMP2. And that focuses on emissions really from the wellhead to the gas pump and so and is mandating quantification. And there's a various number of levels in OGMP2. Uh, there's a gold standard, level five, which fits very nicely to what we do because that's all about quantification at the equipment group level. So we've actually helped a number of uh, the larger operators achieve OGMP2 gold standard with our technology. EPA is still deliberating what improvements they're going to make to their regulations. We're anticipating they will come out with statements before the end of this year. We feel this is certainly going to mandate, again, quantification, not just detection, which is the current regulatory requirement is to perform a, a quarterly survey with an optical gas imaging camera, which of course does not quantify, it just detects and requires certainly someone skilled in the art on the ground to be able to direct those cameras. So we feel that the EPA is really about to turn over a new chapter with the acceptance of these new technologies, be it satellite, manned aircraft, or unmanned systems, as well as some of the fixed sensors, although I think they honestly have a, a little bit of trouble quantifying given that they're fixed and don't necessarily see every part of the operation. And can you expand on the status quo when it comes to detection? So you mentioned cameras there. What are these you know, special cameras like? And then do they have to be flown with a helicopter or a small aircraft? Like, what's the status quo on the detection side? So the current status is essentially a handheld camera. An operator will go up, a skilled operator, and as you can imagine, it's somewhat subjective. They're pointing these cameras that are looking at essentially the infrared signature of the plume. It gives you a color contrast or a black and white contrast on the camera. But I think, you know, that's really motivated the drivers behind these new technologies. And so you've got satellites now. So again, there's a company, GHGSat, out of uh, Montreal that have been deploying sensors on satellites, looking at reflection from the sun, and then looking at you know, that path length between the satellite and the surface of the methane concentrations. There's manned aircraft that fire lasers or LIDAR at specific facilities, look at the scatter back, look at the signal back and use that. So again, there's a, a range of technology out there now that are, are really trying to go above and beyond the existing status quo of those optical gas imaging cameras. In fact, I think I remember walking into an Apple store uh, it must have been a few years ago when Apple was selling a whole range of other kind of ancillaries for, for their products. And you, you used to be able to have an add-on for a, a FLIR infrared camera for an iPhone, I think. And that technology is very similar to what's used today. Got it. That's fascinating. And how do you think about market categories? Is this a category creation play or is this really just chipping into some of those existing categories? I think it's a build on to an existing framework. I mean, the, the operators on the oil and gas side and certainly on the landfill side have always had to report, you know, statistically their emissions. Typically, this was done by emission factors, not by measurement. 
It was based on you know calculations or equipment, understanding of the equipment they had in place. Again, with the plethora of new technologies that have been developed around this, I think it has created a new market, but it's also, I think, been driving as just one part of the energy transition and the path to net zero. It happens to be, I think, one of the most visible because it's also, you know, they say it's the low-hanging fruit that can be addressed because leaks can be fixed. So it has created a new market around emissions technology, emissions reporting. I think it's been in parallel driven by a number of different factors. One has been certainly the focus on you know, ESG reporting and the, the need for transparency, particularly again with the majors, super majors, but even with uh, some of the private equity owners of assets in, in the US that have essentially said, what are we doing for ESG? I think things like the Inflation Reduction Act and the, the methane deduction program that's part of that is going to continue to drive this market. And then on the biogas and landfill side, it, it's all really been about carbon credits. You know, they need asset integrity and to keep product in pipe because the value of the gas to them from a carbon credit is really worth much more than the spot price of the gas itself. So again, there's been some independent drivers that kind of somewhat serendipitously meshed to create this market. Wow, that's fascinating. And to give us an idea of the traction and growth you're seeing, are there any numbers that you're comfortable sharing? We're actually about to go out for a Series C raise now to scale, following on from that fact that we're in our commercial on six continents. We've trained at least two or more drone service companies in each of our key regions, North America, Latin America, Asia Pacific, Middle East and Africa, that enable us to scale. So we're looking at primarily scaling that business. Of course, we're going to be doing some continued differentiation, leveraging some of the beyond visual line of sight characteristics of these modern unmanned systems. So last year, we tripled our revenue from the previous year. And that's really all been about the transition from operators, of trialing pilots, seeing how these technologies work from you know, one or two jobs to, I want to come and do you know, 300 well pads, or can you come back every quarter? And so that's how we're continuing to scale and grow. We're not cash flow positive yet, but that's just around the corner. But that's really where we're positioning that Series C now is, is the scale. We're just under 40 people. We don't plan on adding a lot of heads because, again, our business model really is to scale with those drone service providers as independent industrial drone companies that have already got you know, significant flight approvals from operators or other industrial applications. And does the oil and gas industry tend to be more open to new technologies like this or is selling a, a drone to oil and gas is that is that difficult to do i think i'm not giving away any secrets having had 30 years in chambergee that i think most operators like to be fast followers no one really wants to be the first in a new market or test a new technology again there's a few operators out there that are certainly willing to take a few more risks and as you might imagine there's a range of maturity of technology adoption within those operators and particularly those that have the fairly strong internal R&D groups, it, it tends to be a little easier for them to trial new technologies. So uh, I think unmanned aerial systems took a while to get some traction, but now I think they're almost ubiquitous. And there's certainly some regions of the world that are a little more sensitive to the use of drones, but um, you know, the fact you can walk into Best Buy and buy one now, I think has certainly alleviated a lot of the concerns that you know drones would be used as policemen or uh, watching over you and, you know, the fact that I think visual inspection has come on so far so quickly certainly has, I think, uh, eased the conscience of the operators in accessing and making these technologies available to their assets. I think you know, one of the things that we've also seen is you know, groups like Amazon and Walmart 
really pushing the envelope with these technologies as well, particularly for things like last mile delivery and and beyond visual line of sight, which is, I think, certainly something that, you know, when you talk to a couple of the large super majors, you know, they don't want to have anybody on well sites in the future. They want to be completely automated and unmanned. And I think that's certainly going to drive the continued growth of unmanned systems, be it both airborne and, you know, submarine as well. And how far out do you think that is before the sites are entirely autonomous? I mean, you can see wells being drilled remotely from different parts of the world now, cementing jobs being done remotely. So the technology and the capabilities are there. I think you know, a lot of it is the infrastructure around there, the IT security, the latency that you know, needs to be put around that to ensure the continuous safety of operations. And you've seen it in other industries. You know, I think you're quite comfortable getting on a driverless train these days. And I think it's, you know, is it 10 years away? Probably not. You know, I thought we would be on Mars already, but uh, I think certainly on the progress we've seen recently, I, I would say, you know, 20 years from now, the production side of the future is going to be very different. Super interesting. And as I'm sure you experienced on the corporate venture side, and then today with, with CECOPS, going to market, especially with innovative technology, isn't easy to do. So what would you say has been your greatest challenge that you've faced so far? And how'd you overcome that challenge? I would say there's been two challenges. And again, we've obviously talked to institutionalists as well as corporate venture groups. I would say certainly when I was wearing a corporate venture hat, we were called the dumb money in the room, which I thought not was only insulting, but also did a disservice to, I think, you know, the depth at which corporate venture groups really do their technical due diligence. I think there's still quite a lot of bandwagon jumping. And there's a lot of misinformation, particularly in this space out there that, you know, we've had to correct by looking at the science of emissions rather than the marketing of emissions. And so the biggest hurdle I've come is, is trying to get everyone on a kind of level set of these are the fundamental issues that you need to address when you're looking at emissions. You know, it's not just about put a fixed sensor on a site, leave it, and you'll be able to detect and quantify everything. That's just not feasible. You know, there's no silver bullet when you're addressing emissions. And so highlighting that there's not just one technology here that's going to meet the needs of you know not just the oil and gas industries but you know energy industry in general has been the biggest issue that I've tried to get across to people is you know it's going to require a combination of technologies and also operators and service companies working in harmony harmonization of standards to really get that and again that's quite a lot when you're doing a pitch to an investor to get across before you've even got to the tech and the business plan <laughs> yeah that makes a lot of sense now, last question here for you, Ian, before we wrap, if we zoom out into the future, what's the, let's say, three-year vision for the company? Certainly to continue to build out this global presence. I think we certainly want to build where we are, actually have a prototype CO2 sensor that part of the use of proceeds for the Series C will go to commercialize. I always like to think of it that methane, because it's a, a shorter-lived molecule compared to CO2, kind of determines the rate of temperature rise as for climate effects. The CO2 determines the magnitude. So both are important. Three years from now, we'd certainly want to have, you know, commercial operations for both CO2 and methane again on that global basis. I think I'd love to point to the fact of just how much methane we've abated by identifying very early in real time the emissions from sites. So they're really making sites much cleaner at branching into certainly some other industries as well, like mining and power generation and leveraging, you know, our technology to help them. Perhaps adding other species where unmanned aerial systems can really compete and continuing to drive people out of the system. I've called it, I want to automate from proposal to payment. 
And so including everything, including the back office as well, and really automate that. So when a customer comes with a request, everything, including the survey, the data analysis, and our payment is automated. Wow. Super exciting. All right, Ian, we're going to have to wrap here. Before we officially wrap, though, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where's the best place for them to go? www.ccops.com, S-E-E-K-P-S.com is the website. And I can be reached at iCooper at ccops.com. That's the easiest way to get hold of me. Um, as with most startup CEOs, I am uh, check my mail all the time. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and talk about what you're building and share this vision. This is all super exciting and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Thanks, Brett. Appreciate the time. All right. Keep in touch.